Um, anyways, like I said, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, last week, we finished our series this fall. We spent this fall taking a look at Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. And, and uh, I trust that God used our study in, in the Ten Commandments for good in your hearts as we talked about what it looks like for God's people to reflect His nature and character uh, as we seek to obey His self-revealing commands. Remember, we talked about how God's commands, they don't just tell us what He wants, they reveal to us what He's like. They show his nature and his character. And I hope the other thing that you saw in our study of the Ten Commandments is that while the Ten Commandments, they show us, uh, they give us a picture of God's nature and his character, they show us what he is like, they are actually powerless to change us. The Ten Commandments can't, can't make us more like God. Instead, they're a, a way that we respond to him they're powerless to actually change. See, the Ten Commandments, they're, more, uh, they're not a thermostat that can change the temperature in your soul. They're not a thermostat that can change the temperature in your soul. Instead, they just function as a, a thermometer. They can read the temperature. They can tell you if you're sick or not. You see, but they can't change you internally. They can't, they can't heal you. They can just tell us that we're sick, and they can show us what health looks like. You see, and if you continue reading the Old Testament, what you see really, that you see that truth really being borne out. You see, at the end of the first five books of the New Testament, Moses, he, he speaks to the people after a, a, few, a few books of the Bible of just not going great, if we're honest. And he tells people, he says, I, I know that you're, you're not going to follow God's commands. You have proven that you are incapable of actually obeying God's law, following his commands. And he's right. If you read the Old Testament, it just kind of goes from bad to worse, right? There, it just, it's, it's a rough story. It's kind of like, like a much more tragic and sad version of Wipeout. You know, it's, like, it's just inevitable how long the face plant is going to be, right? Instead of obeying God's commands as people forget them, they ignore them, or, or often they just outright defy them. And it leads to all kinds of heartache and turmoil and disaster and strife and fighting all over the place, internally, personally, for the Israelites as a nation, and globally as well. You see, the problem wasn't that they were ignorant of what was right. You've got to clearly lay it out for them what was right. The problem wasn't that they were uneducated. They had a rigorous system of educating their people about what God's law was and what it looked like to live in light of it. See, the problem, it wasn't a, it wasn't a head problem. You see, Moses tells them at the, end of the, at the end of those first five books of the Bible, he says that the problem behind all the strife and heartache and turmoil and, and uh, destruction that their disobedience has caused, the problem behind all of that isn't a head problem, it's a heart problem. He says their hearts are hard. You see, it wasn't a knowledge problem. It wasn't an education problem. It was a heart-level problem. You see, the reality is that the same kinds of strife and heartache and turmoil and destruction and fighting, they saturate the world that we live in today. There is an utter lack of peace. We look all around us, and there is a lack of peace. You see, peace has been an elusive dream for every civilized society, from, from the Old Testament until today. You see, and what we think is we think that reason or intellect, we think that technology or education or diplomacy, that those are the, the answers to the problems of this lack of peace that we have. And I don't want to, don't want to hear me wrong. Those, those things are good things. Education and, and reason and technology and diplomacy, those are, those are good things. But none of them are the cure. None of them are the answer to the real problem, you see, because none of those things can bring us 
true peace, you see, because none of those things has the ability to change the human heart. None of those things can change the human heart. You see, what the Bible says is, and what I want to show you this Advent season over these next three weeks as we, as we take a look, as we prepare our hearts for, for Christmas, is that the solution that we are looking for to end the strife and heartache and turmoil and destruction and fighting that happens in us and all around us, it's not found in reason. It's not found in intellect. It's not found in education. It's not found in diplomacy. It's not found in technology. Instead, it is found in the birth of a child. A child that Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says would be called himself the Prince of Peace. You see, and what I want you to see this morning as we study God's word is that we will never have peace unless we come into a relationship with the Prince of Peace himself. We will never have peace unless we come into a relationship with the Prince of Peace himself. You see, and it's the birth of this Prince of Peace that is the, it's at the heart of the song that the angels sing that first Christmas night. It's the message they herald is the birth of this Prince of Peace. It's the, it's the message they sang out that first Christmas night, and it's the proclamation that these angels make about that king, about that child, about the Prince of Peace that would come that I want to use to set the stage for, our, for the next few weeks as we think about the Advent season together. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll read our passage as we study God's Word together. King Jesus, we come before you this morning. And God, we just, uh, God, we just humbly say we really need you. God, I don't have what I need outside of your Spirit empowering me to teach rightly. God, we can't hear and respond rightly to your Word without you, being a- you enabling our hearts to do that. And so, King Jesus, we come with, with hearts that are dependent on you. And we say, God, without you, we, we, don't, we don't have anything. And so, God, help us this morning. God, help me to speak rightly with truth and power. God, help us to hear rightly and to respond to your word rightly. King Jesus, we need you. God, our hearts are not at peace. Our world is not at peace. But, King Jesus, you are the great prince of peace. And so we ask this, this Advent season that you might reveal yourself to us as the Prince of Peace, that you might show us what it means that you are the Prince of Peace who brings peace into our lives and our world, and that you might shape and mold us, King Jesus, into your image, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our passage, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their, to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no uh, guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
You see, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord himself has told us about. See, our passage this morning, as we, as we begin our Advent season, preparing our hearts for Christmas, our passage this morning, it begins with the birth of Jesus. And, and then basically what I kind of picture as like this angelic flash mob, kind of in the countryside, right? Just like out of nowhere, there's just like this chorus of angels, right? And it's the message of these angels that I want to focus on this morning. See, it's a message of good news that will, that will cause great joy. And so the question is, what is the good news that the message brings? What is the message that is so good that it will cause great joy? Not just joy, great joy. See, the message is simply this, that a Savior has been born and that he comes bringing peace. A Savior has been born, and he comes bringing peace. You see, we can't miss it that the message of a Savior this morning, it's the message of a Savior is only good news if you need saving. The message of a Savior is only good news if you actually need saving. You see, the message of the angel's good news is because it comes in the face of bad news. Hannah and I, I've told you this story before, Hannah and I are super blessed with our two kids, but there was a season for, a, for quite a while when we weren't sure if we were ever going to be able to actually have kids. We had been trying to get pregnant for over a year and just felt like it just wasn't going to happen. And we had gone through all the phases, right? First, you're kind of excited, then, then, you're, uh, then you have, have this anticipation, and then you're just trying to be patient, and you're trying to wait, and, and then you start kind of being concerned, and, and then you kind of go to this, this mode of frustration, or sometimes it's even fear that happens, and each month would pass, and still nothing. It was, it was incredibly hard, I remember, and I remember asking a friend who's, who's, who, and he and his wife had just gotten pregnant, I, I just remember just asking him, like, man, was that hard for you guys? Like, how, how long did that take? And he's like, uh, I mean, one night, I guess, <laughs> you know, and he was happy, he was happy, but I wouldn't, describe, I wouldn't describe his reaction as great joy. I still remember the morning that we found out that we were pregnant. I was in the shower, shampoo in my hair, and suddenly I see an arm shoot through the shower curtain with some little stick on the end, and I'm trying to like wipe the soap out of my eyes, right, and trying to understand what's going on and see what's happening, and, and it was my wife, and, and it was a, the pregnancy test that showed after over a year of trying that we were finally pregnant. And I remember the joy of that morning. I remember the life that was there. I remember that there was great joy. You see, and at the heart of that, there was great joy because the good news of that pregnancy came in the face of some really bad news. It came in the face of news that was hard and discouraging, news that felt insurmountable. See, the reality is that the good news is only good if there's bad news. You see, the same is true when it comes to Christmas and the message of the angels this morning. You see, in order to understand why the birth of a Savior is such good news, you have to understand the bad news first. You see, and the good news that begins, at, the good news that we, that we remember at Christmas actually begins with the bad news all the way back in Genesis and the garden. 
You see, when God created the world, he created it perfect and good. Everything was as it should be according to God's good and beautiful design. See, Adam and Eve, they walked in perfect relationship with, with one another, with the world, and with God himself. They were enjoying God and treasuring him and being loved by him and loving one another. The Hebrew word that the Bible uses to describe this kind of state is the word shalom. In our English Bibles, it's a word that's translated as peace, but, but peace doesn't really do that word justice. You see, shalom is a state where everything is as it should be. It's, it's not about just the absence of conflict. It's, it's not about just an absence of turmoil. It is the notion of perfect state. It's the, it's the notion of a, of a positive blessing, one that especially connotates a right relationship with God. See, but in an instant, all of that changed. The, the shalom, the perfect peace that, that the world had, it was destroyed as Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate the fruit from the one tree that God had told them not to eat and sin had entered the world and creation was kind of thrown into chaos. There was darkness and depravity and, and shame and selfishness. Those things flooded the human heart. And, but even more significantly, the, the effects of sin, what it does is that humanity's perfect relationship with God is broken. Humanity's perfect relationship with God is, is severed. You see, now instead of relationship and life and peace, instead of shalom, you see, instead what we have is separation and death and hostility. You see, sin had destroyed everything. And I think it, it can be easy to, to look at the consequences of sin and the results of sin and to think, like, that sounds like a bit, like a bit much for just kind of eating some fruit, right? Like, like, it kind of sounds like a bit of an overreaction for all of that to happen. You see, but the, the problem is, is that the reason why we think that is because we misunderstand fundamentally what sin is. You see, sin sin's not just a mistake. Sin is not just a bad decision. It's not just a, a poor choice. You see, the root of the first sin and all sin sense is that it's the choice to reject God and his good authority. You see, instead of God telling us what is good and right and true, we decide that we want to be the ones that decide what is good and right and true, that we want to be the ones who decide uh, what is best for us and what is right and good for this world. And the reality is, is that at the heart of sin is that we want to be God. It's the choice that, Ed, that Adam and Eve made in the garden, and it's the choice that every one of us has made since. And it, it leads to all kinds of wrong behavior, you see, but the behavior that we see that we describe as sinful is just a symptom. It's just, it's just a symptom of really what's going on underneath. You see, and the reality is, is that what's happening underneath is that we want to be God. We want to decide what is right and wrong. We want to be the rulers of this world and of our lives. And so we stage a coup against God, the rightful king and ruler of all things. I see sin is not just a, it's not a mistake. It's not just simply a bad decision. You see at its root what sin is. Sin is mutiny and rebellion. See, it's not something you can fix on your own. You can't, you can't stage a coup and then take it back, right? When it's unsuccessful and you find out it doesn't work. You see, you can't just take it back. You can't just apologize, right? It's like buying flowers to try to make up for an affair that you've had. You see, you can't take it back. You cannot undo a mutinous rebellion, you see, what happens is that we deserve death for trying to overthrow God who is the king and making ourselves the ruler of the world. You see, we have made ourselves enemies of God. 
See, that's what sin is. Sin is not just eating some fruit. Sin is the rejection of God's good rule and authority, and it is the enthroning of ourselves. It is a, it is a coup. It is mutiny. It is rebellion at its, at its most basic stage. You see, and because of sin, we are justly under God's wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. You see, and whether you realize it or not, whether you choose to admit it or not, you see, sin has separated us from God. It has made us enemies of his and has put us justly under his righteous wrath for sin. You see, we're like, kind of like my kids. You see, sometimes what happens is we're, we are ignorant of that truth. It's like my kids who, are, who love to play around the swing sets, but they love running back and forth behind the swings while people are swinging. And countless times as a parent, what I've seen is that there is this inevitable crash that is going to happen. Right? And they are unaware. They don't understand. They do not see it. They are unaware of the impending destruction that will happen. You see, and what they need is for someone to save them. What they need is for someone to rescue them because they cannot do it themselves. You see, and the good news of great joy that we celebrate at Christmas is that the Savior that we needed has come. The Savior we needed has come. And he came, in verse 14 says, he comes with a message of peace. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he is the Savior who came to make peace between us and God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, it reads this way. Follow with me. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus here, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood which was shed on the cross. For once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, what sin does is that sin alienates us from God. It separates us from God. You see, it makes us God's enemies, and there is an uncrossable chasm between us. You see, but what Jesus did, what Colossians 1 teaches us, is that Jesus reconciled us, that he made peace, where once we were aliens and enemies of God, Jesus comes, he reconciles us, he makes peace between us and God. And Colossians 1 says that he does that through his blood, which was shed on the cross. You see, Jesus absorbed all of God's just wrath for our sin, for our mutinous rebellion. Jesus received the right and just penalty that our sin deserved. He paid the penalty our rebellion deserved. He took the hit, and he is the only one that could. You see, our sin against God is an infinite offense because God himself is infinite, and so only one who is infinite could pay the penalty infinitely for us. You see, in Colossians 1, it teaches us that Jesus came to live and die on our behalf so that we might have peace with God, that we might have right relationship with him, that we might have shalom restored. You see, the good news of the gospel that we celebrate and remember at Christmas is not just that God gives us peace, but that he gives us himself because he himself is our peace. See, and if you don't have peace with him, you will never have peace anywhere else. 
The great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He says, I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove of peace, but it flew away. You see what he's saying in that quote, what he's saying is that peace is a byproduct of right relationship with God. Peace is not something you pursue in and of itself. You see, peace is a byproduct of right relationship with God. Peace with God is the key to peace everywhere else, and Jesus came to make that possible. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he adds this. He says, we do not need instruction. We have had enough of that throughout the centuries. The Greek philosophers had tried it as well as all the biblical writers, but people do not listen to it, and they do not put it into practice. Men and women, what we need is new hearts. Hearts that will love the light and hate the darkness. And until then, they will never have peace. Christ knew that what we needed is to be renewed. He knew that what we needed was new hearts, new natures, new lives. And in Christ Jesus, new hearts are possible. You see, that's the good news that we celebrate at Christmas. That's the message that we celebrate at Christmas, that we were dead in our sin aliens, enemies to God, but God came himself to make peace with us. You see, what what makes the good news of Christmas even more dramatic, what makes the joyousness of the news the angels bring even more dramatic is that the God of this world who comes to make peace with us, he comes not in our moment of, of sober reality, he comes not to us in our moment where we understand how sinful we are, he comes not to us in our, in our moments of, 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 uh, of humility, he comes to us in the midst of our rebellion against him to make peace with us. In the midst of our war against him, God comes to make peace with us. God first promised the Savior that we need all the way back in Genesis 3, just moments into the the sin entering the world. God promises a Savior would come to Adam and Eve. And in fact, the promise that we, that we read about this morning, the, that Isaiah 9, chapter 6, tells us about the coming of this prince of peace who would, who would bring peace with him. It was a message that God sent through Isaiah to King Ahaz. King Ahaz was an arrogant and proud and wicked king. He refused to look to God for help, even when God himself offered it to him. King Ahaz refused to turn to God. You see, in the promise of the Prince of Peace, it comes to this wicked man in the midst of his rebellion against God, in the midst of his pride, in the midst of his arrogance, in the midst of his rejection of God's goodness and his authority. And I need you to hear this. You and I are the same. You see, the gospel does not come to us on our best day. You see, the news, the good news that brings great joy The news of a Savior, it doesn't come to us when we are on our best behavior. It comes to us in the midst of our rebellion. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of the chaos it causes, the Prince of Peace comes, and he comes with a message of peace. You see, some of you are here this morning, and what you are realizing, maybe for the first time, is that the lack of peace you have in all the areas of your life, what it really stems from is the reality that you are not at peace with God. You see, deep down, you are not a good person. None of us are. Deep down, what we are at our core is mutinous rebels. There isn't a deep inner goodness at the heart of us. There is a rebellion and a rejection of God. 
You see, and, and that has alienated us from God. And what you might see for the very first time is that you, this morning, you stand as an enemy of God, not just as a neutral bystander, but you stand at odds with him. And I have prayed for you this week. I have longed for you this week that you might encounter King Jesus this morning as the Prince of Peace, who he, who he comes to be. That you might admit to him your sin and your rebellion. That you might choose to lay down your arms, surrendering yourself to him as the good king that you have needed and longed for. And that you might throw yourself wholly at his feast, trusting in him that he might be the one who might provide the peace that you so desperately are longing for. You see, Jesus is the only one who can bring you the peace that you are, that you truly need. You see, the invitation at Christmas is not to behave. The invitation at Christmas is not to behave. The invitation at Christmas is to behold. It's to behold King Jesus, the Savior, the Prince of Peace, who has come to make peace between you and God. You see, the Bible says that today, if you hear his voice, not to harden your hearts against him. Instead, it says, to all who would receive him, to those who would believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And my prayer for you has been this morning, if what you are realizing is that you are at odds with God, you are not at peace with him, that King Jesus, as the Prince of Peace that he is, might come and break into your reality, that he might come to reveal himself as the Prince of Peace who has come to make peace between you and God. Some of you are here and you are, you are in that spot this morning. You've grown up in church all of your lives. You have always tried to do what is right. You have always tried to do the good thing. And what you inevitably find is that it's never enough. You see, because what you need is not a peace you can make yourself. What you need is a peace that only the Prince of Peace can bring and offer you. Some of you are here this morning and you are not at peace with God yet. But others of you are here this morning and you have forgotten the good news that Jesus' is coming is. You have forgotten the good news that brings great joy. You see, you've forgotten how much you needed saving and how graciously God has met you in the midst of your need for saving. And you've become self-righteous or critical of others or you've just become plain apathetic. You see, Christmas is here again. I guess. Comes every year, doesn't it? You see, the message of Christmas is, is one that should captivate our hearts. Not just the first year that we get it, but each and every year because the message of Christmas is a reminder that the Savior we needed has come. The message of Christmas for all of us is the same. It's to behold, not to behave. It's to behold the Prince of Peace, to look him in the eyes and to see in his eyes, to see the, the love that he has for us and the need that we have for him and to let the reminder of the rescue that he came to bring, to let that fuel the rejoicing that you have each and every Christmas season. You see, because the reality is that remembering our rescue is the one thing that leads to a right rejoicing. And if you forget how much you were rescued from, if you forget how much much you needed saving, then you will never be able to rejoice rightly at the coming of the great king who is your savior. You see, the good news is that there is bad news. 
The good news is good because it overcomes the bad news. Sometimes we need to remember the bad news so that the good news of great joy might be what it was meant to be to us. You see, and it's the, it's the good news of the gospel that we remember every week when we take communion together. What we're doing is remembering that Jesus is reconciling love towards us That's what we're celebrating each week as we take communion. We're reminding ourselves that his body and his blood were broken and shed for us as he received the penalty that our mutinous rebellion against him was due and owed so that we might have peace with God. It's communion. It does not make you right with God. Communion does not grant you peace with him. It does not change your status and your standing with him. The one thing that makes you right with God, the one thing that gives you peace with him is faith in the person and the work of Jesus. Romans 5 teaches us that because we've been justified by faith, that's why we have peace with God in Christ. Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves that the Savior we needed came and that he paid the price that we could not pay so that we might have life in him. The bread and the juice are in the back and River City, you simply go back during our time of worship and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice as a reminder of Jesus' body and his blood broken and shed for us. And so as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if he is your prince of peace, if he is the one on whom you rely to make peace between you and God, then this morning I would encourage you, go back and take communion. Celebrate him, remember him, remember the peace that he has made between you and God. Do it with life and joy and see it as a great joy and celebration. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if not, if Jesus is not yet your prince of peace, if what you are realizing this morning is that you are at odds with God, I would encourage you to hold off on taking communion. You are welcome here. This church is right for you. This people is right for you. This community is right for you. You are welcome here. You see, but what you need more than a ritual, more than a reminder What you need is a right relationship with the Prince of Peace himself. And this morning, if you find yourself at odds with him, if what you realize is that you have never surrendered to him as the great king, the Prince of Peace, then do that this morning. Come to him first. He is what you really need. And as we take communion, as we sing, I want to encourage all of us, talk with God Ask him, to, ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to remind you of himself. Ask him to help you encounter him as the prince of peace, who he really is. Maybe some of you for the first time, or maybe others freshly again. See, in Luke chapter 1, the angels came. They came singing a song announcing the inauguration of the, of the kingdom of this prince of peace. But in Revelation chapter 5, we see, the, we see a promise, we see a picture, we see the foreshadowing of the angels singing another similar song. This time, though, they're joined by all those who the king, the prince of peace, has made peace with. And together, the angels and those who have become, who've been made at peace with God, they come singing this great song to the, around the throne of God. They come singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. For to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
the final verse of the Christmas carol, it, it came upon a midnight clear. It points us towards that day. It reads this way, For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets long foretold, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace, their right king, and the whole earth send back the song with which now the angels sing. You see, the greatest promise of the Old Testament was that the Prince of Peace would come. And the great promise that we remember and celebrate each Christmas is that he did that he came. And the promise the New Testament points us to again is that he will come again. You see, true peace in this world will not come until the king, the prince of peace, comes to consummate the kingdom in which he, his first coming inaugurated. But personal peace with him is available for you today. It happens through Christ the king, the prince of peace. So let us lay hold of the peace that he offers us this morning. Let us remember it. Let us celebrate it. Let, it. let it fill our hearts this Christmas season so that we might eagerly wait for his return and pursue the final enduring peace that his coming will usher in for our good and for his great glory. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, and we need to encounter you as the great Prince of Peace that you are. God, some of us are here this morning. God, and the reality is, is that we are not at peace with you. Our sin has still separated us from you. And God, I pray for those who are here this morning who are realizing that even for the first time. God, that instead of allowing themselves to stay in that state, that they would, that they would take hold of the peace that you came to offer them. That by faith they would put their trust in you. That they would acknowledge to you their own sin and their own rebellion. That they would realize that, that what you have done is the one thing that can make peace between them and God, and that they would trust wholly in your work, giving you, surrendering to you as the great king of all, giving their lives over to you. God, for those of us who are here this morning and we have forgotten the goodness of the good news of your coming, God, I pray that you'd be gracious to remind us of our need for saving, that you would open our eyes afresh to how much we needed you and how greatly you have met our need for you so that this Christmas season our hearts might be full of right rejoicing unto you. Help us to remember. Help us to celebrate rightly. God, give us life as the Prince of Peace. Make us agents of your peace to this world. King Jesus, we need you. We pray in your good and great name. Amen.